The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Smalls-Angelos. Smalls, how are you on this fine Monday evening? I'm doing good, but how are you? I no one ever asks you how you're doing, and it's just Nashville. You got all all the music's going on, the country music, the summer vibes. How are you, Tyler? I'm good, Smalls. I think everybody that that listens to the show knows that I'm just probably always neurotic and always a know it all. It's like one of those two things. You're out but every I, night in Nashville, just uh, you know, banging to country music. I think everyone knows that too. I went to the Titans open uh, practice, didn't stay for the practice, walked around, saw the free uh, stuff at Nissan Stadium, had a spike seltzer, and then, you know, walked on Broadway for a couple minutes and then realized on Broadway, when you're sober, it's a, it's a pretty miserable place. A lot of stuff going on there. So got out of there, had a nice dinner last night for uh, my wife's birthday, went to a Nikki's Coal Fire Pizza. It's, uh, you know, Ooh. Italian spots, smalls. It would make the Nashville City Review if I was doing one. Not that anybody asked me about that. I think coal-fired pizzas, you know, if you put coal-fired pizza in your name, you better be bringing something to the table. It better be good. You get that char on the pizza. Like, you got to have good char. You know what I mean? And it had a great crust. We actually, you know, we normally do the red sauce, but we got a white sauce pizza last night. It was a little garlic cream sauce, spinach, pepperoni, a little ricotta, a little mozzarella. I mean, Smalls was an unbelievable pizza. We had a salad with it. It was great. You can't beat that. That is that is a good looking. It's a good sounding pizza. I don't know how it looked, but I'm expecting some Instagram later on. I'm, I'm not good at food Instagram. You've seen it before. The food gets down. And it's like I'm a I'm like a horse at the Kentucky Derby. The second the food hits the table, I start. I can't. I don't have time to take a picture. Yeah, but who does? Honestly, it's insane that people people who aren't hungry that's who have time to take pictures. Animals, honestly, animals. But this week. We had been talking about Independence Community College a little bit, so you know what Smalls went out and did? He got Bill Morosco, the head coach of the Independence Community College basketball program. Unfortunately, he got there. This is his first year. Got hired in April, uh, so a little bit after they stopped. They had been finished filming Last Chance U at that point, but uh, you know, works for the same people that you see in the show: the AD and the president, uh, Dan Berwick, and then uh, the AD's name I can't remember. I think it was Tammy. 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 Yeah. But uh, so some interesting tidbits about independence, but also a guy who has worked a lot of different places in his career, Smalls. I mean, this is his second go around as a junior college coach, first as a head coach, but graduated from Florida, worked at Presbyterian, worked at the Citadel. Uh, I believe he also worked at Barry, really good Division II school. So, you know, uh, honestly, a guy that kind of really covers a lot of the bases of what we want to do on this show. And then, like we said, you know, happens to be able to tell us a lot about independence and independence, Kansas, which was pretty cool. Yeah, young guy, a lot of different stops, like you mentioned. Uh, but there's no, you know, there's the stories of Adam Van Zels recent where he's at Albright for 12 years and now he's getting a head coaching opportunity. There's different routes to this game. You know, you could be at a place every year for five years and get a head coaching opportunity. You could be at 10 different places for the last 25 years and then finally get a head coaching opportunity. It's, you know, really where you're willing to go, also how opportunities unfold and your connections. So learning a little bit about that process, not only networking, but uh, just the idea of how he approached coaching and approached his career. Yeah, agreed. And a a really interesting story on how he got into coaching basketball as well, because like we talked about it a little bit, really smart guy, you know, 
graduates from Florida, cum laude, you know, way smarter than the two of us, that's for sure, as most big of our guests smarts. are. Yeah, big time smarts. So, you know, and I thought it was pretty interesting when you kind of take a look at a program like Independence, and as the basketball coach, you might say, like, oh, this might be really good. They've been on last chance you for the two seasons. You don't really know what's going on when you're interviewing down there. You might think, like, man, they might have all this money coming in. But kind of like what we saw is that Independence, Kansas, is, is an interesting town and a town that's transitioning just like the school is a little bit. So I thought it was really fascinating to kind of hear what went into him deciding this was the right job for him because he's got a junior college background. And this is the first JUCO guy we've had on the show, I think. I don't know that we've had – we haven't had another junior college head coach. So kind of learning, like, how he wants to recruit and how you do recruit at a school like that and how that differ- differs from a Division two or Division one program, I thought that was pretty fascinating because – Honestly, in, in basketball now, Smalls, especially at Division One level, like, JUCO stuff is – it's not like what it used to be. You don't really get a ton of studs out of there. You don't know a ton of schools that really go JUCO hunting that often to find good players, but they're out there. They really are. Yeah, I, I love that we finally are, are getting a little junior college flavor in our podcast just – it's it's different. It's just like I guess D three, D one, that stuff. But junior college is so different. It's so unique, and I think there's a wide range of different coaches and stories out there. Um, so I'm excited for everyone to kind of listen to this. Give us your thoughts. We'd love to have more junior colleges coaches on as well. Um, I think there's a ton of really talented ones, and looking forward to seeing how Bill's career unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. So short intro from us this week, but enjoy this interview with Bill. And uh, as always, if you like what you hear, please do reach out to us. We are Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please do leave us a five-star review. Uh, if you write, that pushes us up the rankings. That's good. We get a little bit more money, get some advertising, get to make the show a little bit better. If you don't like what you hear, still leave us five stars because we're two guys and we try really, really hard. Uh, as always, I appreciate everyone who listens and enjoy this week with uh, Bill Morosco of Independence Community College. Pleased to be joined by the new head coach of the Independence Community College Pirates, Bill Morosco. Bill, you've got you've just recently gotten the job there. I think you've been there about three months, but uh, we appreciate you joining us. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, doing great. It's been a it's been a great summer so far in Indy, and, and excited with you guys. Yeah, you say Indy. Is that what everyone says there? Instead of like, ah, oh, it's been a great summer in Kansas, you just call it Indy, and then have to explain that you're not talking about Indianapolis to the people that I guess don't know. Well, kind of. It's kind of like how, you know, people in California don't like when you say Cali, but everyone else says Cali. So, like, since I'm not really from here, I can say Indy, but people from Independence don't like it when you say Indy. Okay. <laughs> Duly right. noted. We will stay away from that. So, yeah, actually, you got the job in April. You know, you're the first junior college head coach that we've had on this show. So, I, you know, I'm really curious about how you kind of run your program. And, and, and since you've gotten there, I'm sure everything's been a whirlwind. And we'll get into some of the last chance you stuff in, in a little bit. But you know, kind of since April, what, what's been the big like ticket items on your list of things to do since you got the job? Oh man, it's been a, it's been a a whirlwind for sure. So, um, got hired in April and basically on my first day I was told I have to hire two assistants 
uh, recruit about 14 new players and also schedule 10 games. So um, I, I doubt anyone's had a busier off season uh, than I've had, but at, Juco is kind of like that. You know, you've got to always got a schedule. Your assistants are always moving on. And usually it's about half your team you have to replace, but in a coaching change, it was basically everyone. Yeah. And, and so it's this, it's a similar recruiting style in the sense that there will be some availables, but you're also going to Juco events as well, right? Like you're going to Jerry Mullins. I don't know if Brad Winton does it anymore. Are you trying to find guys that would maybe just be one year players for you as well that are in their second year trying to get to a better situation? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, that's one thing I learned along my stops everywhere I've been, the transfers, uh, it's, it's a fruitful market, especially in, in today's environment. So we, we hit that hard. We brought in five junior college transfers, four division one transfers, two division two transfers. And so that's just me using all of my connections from when I was coaching Juco previously, coaching division one, coaching division two, and, and all those things kind of intertwine. All of a sudden you can get some really good players. Yeah, you mentioned your stops. I mean, we should just get into it now. I mean, you start, you know, you graduate from Florida, and if people want to know, you're come loud, right? So that means you're super smart, way brighter than me. Tyler's a smart guy, but I'm not. I have trouble reading. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> UC Davis, you're, you know, you're a grad assistant. You're at Citadel. Uh, you mentioned coaching junior college and even Barry, which is a loaded, loaded Division two conference and a good program in its own right. Uh, how did you, how did you make it all the way to those stops at such an early age? And what did you kind of take from each of those stops uh, early on in your career? Oh man. Well, it's uh, I mean, honestly, you know, people say like, you know, hashtag blessed and so blessed. Like, honestly, I, I feel like when I can look back at it, when like me and my wife are just hanging out and sitting on our front porch and we talk about how the journey like went, it is crazy. Like it does, it does really feel like every little decision, you know, lined up perfectly to make this happen, to make some 29 year old who didn't play college ball, you know, or um, honestly didn't, wasn't a manager in college or anything is literally some 20, you know, I guess I was like 24 and decided, Hey, I want to get into college coaching and to make that happen, you know, as quickly as it did, it was, is crazy. So um, to run you guys through it, basically, you know, I went to, I was just a decent you know, high school player. I was okay. Um, had a couple options to go play small college ball out of school, out of high school, but I decided to take a, a full academic scholarship to, to the university of Florida. Um, as I like to call it the Harvard of the South. Um, <laughs> but, it might uh, actually be called that. If, I, yeah. I've heard, I've heard out of state. It's really, really tough to get in. That's what I've been told. I don't know that. It is. Uh, so I, I was lucky. Um, it was a great experience. And so, and again, I thought I was done with basketball. Like I thought I was going to go be a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. So I joined a fraternity. And, um, and one thing that was pretty neat is it actually was my first experience as a recruiter. So the fraternity I joined had about, you know, 15 people in it. And by the time I had graduated, I was done being re- recruitment chairman and president and all that stuff. Uh, we were at like a hundred people. And so, um, the, the national office of this fraternity realized what is going on at University of Florida. And so my first job out of school was, again, not with basketball, was to go work for them. Oh. And and so I had a couple other job opportunities, but for some reason I took that one. And again, all these things line up perfectly. So I move into this town in um, you know central Virginia called Lexington, Virginia. And unbeknownst to me, that's where I'm going to meet my first coaching mentor, uh, Duger Balkum, who was at the time was head coach of EMI. I'd later go on to work them at the Citadel, but, um, 
So, you know, I'm traveling around doing this and I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I remember just watching college basketball one day and, you know, people always tell you like, you can do whatever you set your mind to, you know? <laughs> of course. Yeah. I was it's like, bullshit, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was stupid enough to be like, you know what? I'm a bright guy. You know, I went to university of Florida. Maybe I can, maybe I can't just drop her. I'm doing a coach college basketball. Oh yeah. So that's what I decided to do. And that summer I met up with two different coaches in Lexington. Um, the first one was not Duger Bauckham. He was at another school in Lexington and I met up with him and I said, Hey, my name is Bill Morosco. I played high school basketball. I didn't do anything with, with Billy Donovan at the university of Florida. I'm not doing anything with any college program right now, but I wanted to get in college basketball. You know, um, how you think I got a shot? And he was like, hell no, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. And so I was like, all right, cool. Um, I remember I called my girlfriend at the time. I was like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. Maybe I should just go coach high school or something like that. And, but I already had scheduled a meeting with Duger the next day. And so I meet up with Duger and I say the same spiel, you know, do you think I have a chance in college basketball? And he looks at me with this like stupid grin is like, of course, do you know anything about my story? And he was like, it's, I think my story is crazy. It is even more crazy. He was like a retired highway patrol officer in North Carolina. And so he's like, yeah, if I can do it, bro, you can do it too. You're a lot younger than me. So he kind of got me going. Um, and then next thing you know, my, my fraternity put me in Wyoming and every single day I'd work my job, but then I'd also go to Wyoming's practice every single day, whether they ran out. I remember one day it was my birthday. They had a, they had a conditioning session where they ran them at 5 a.m. And I was there and Larry Shy was like, what are you doing at 5 a.m.? You're just like a volunteer taking notes of practice every day. And he got me in touch with Jim Les at UC Davis. And so I ended up, ended up going out there to be a GA and that kind of got everything going. Well, it, it's funny. I just think like, I don't know, everybody talks about this and you talk about like just dropping everything and, and wanting to do it. When you went to Wyoming, how long were you out there? Were you there a full season where you just showed up to practice every single day? I was there the full fall semester. Okay. So from okay. the first day they had their workouts in September through Christmas break. I was there the whole time. And there was no thought of like, this isn't going to work. Like when you, when did it, when did you decide? Cause obviously you, you end up going from just to kind of jump ahead a little bit. You're at UC Davis as a GA. Then you're at Citadel with Duger. When he, I think that was his, I guess that was his second year at the Citadel or was it his first year at the Citadel? First year. First year. Yeah, okay. So his first year at the Citadel, then you go to PC as an assistant and then you end up at Eastern East Florida state. Did you decide, like, I want to be a head coach as quickly as I can, Bill? Or was it a thing of, like, I'm going to just kind of roll with the punches? Because, like, you know, you end up at starting at the Division One level, which is kind of rare, I think. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm on the road at PC. I'm assuming for Greg Nybert, if I'm, yes. my years are correct, that was yeah. his last season. Yeah. But, like, then you, then you go to, you know, Eastern Florida, which is a really good program. And that was to stay on the road, I, I'm guessing. Like, I'm, I'm, my assumption is maybe you had a chance to – take something in an operations role and stay D1. Did you make a conscious effort to stay on the road and be like, I'm a, I want to keep moving forward so I can run my own program? That's, that's a hundred percent correct, Tyler. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, being a GA and adobo uh, at the division one level is challenging because you're, you're so close to doing what you want to do and the job you want to like get up in the morning or job for, but you're not quite there. You can't step in those lines and get on the court and recruit someone or work them out and, you know, depending on your staff, they let you or they don't let you do game plan and you know that kind of stuff. But um, so, yeah, my, my goal was and again, for me not having played college basketball that long, I didn't I did not or at all. Um, 
to, I wanted to make sure I stayed on the road. So that was my biggest thing. You know, I remember telling my wife, it's like, I'm, I'm going to, whatever, I even have to coach a high school job, but I want to be on the court coaching, developing as a coach, you know, and finding myself and my voice. And uh, that's what made me go down to Eastern Florida. You worked with some really interesting guys. You've worked with Jim Les. I, you know, you've worked with Duger, who runs the system unlike really anybody else in college. Greg Nybert, real fiery guy, tons of success as a younger coach, and then, you know, kind of saw Presbyterian in the D1 landscape. For those three guys, especially all older guys in the industry, as a young guy, how did you kind of find your niche on those staffs? Because there are guys, you know, those are guys that, like, they know what they want. Like, they, they know and they're going to challenge you. How hard was that for you? Uh, you know, I don't think it was that hard to be honest. Uh, when people ask me this all the time, it's the best thing that, and I didn't do this by design, but if I could give anyone advice, it would be to move around like I did. And you can't always do it. You have a wife, you have kids, whatever it is, no opportunities aren't there, but for some reason it just lined up for me. And so now my network is so much bigger than someone who just stays in one staff for, you know, 10 years. Um, but it's helped me learn different styles of play, learn different ways to run an organization, different ways to delegate to your assistants, how different coaches interact with players. And the biggest thing is, you know, I remember reading a book one time called manage your boss and learning how to, how your boss operates and understanding what they like, what they don't like. And, you know, as an assistant, as a GA, as a dopo, whatever it is, you got to tailor that to whatever he wants. And you just try to find ways to figure out how can I, you know, add value to this program and then be creative and, you know, find different ways to do it. And, you know, all those coaches have been awesome in letting me do that and let me kind of find my voice and develop as a coach. I'm sure you got to be the young guy on each one of those stats where like, if there was any sort of technical issue, you were the guy that had to solve it. Like could have even been like somebody's tire was flat or like their radio in their <laughs> car wasn't working, but they call you cause you're the youngest guy. It's like, ah, he knows about technology. He'll fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Like an automatic email didn't come through <laughs> travel itinerary. The, be the best was when I was single, though, they all were very interested in my dating life. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, it's, it's living vicariously through the young yes. assistant. Were, were, you, uh, were you single in Charleston, Bill? Yes, I was. Yeah, see, I was not when I moved down there. I was not. But I remember on my, on my uh, interview, if you will, like the kind of, is this guy weird or is he going to be fine on our staff? Sure. I won't say what member of the coaching staff said this to me because all of them were married and all of them had kids, but it was like, Hey, do you have a girlfriend? And I was like, yeah, she's going to move down. They're like, ah, that's a mistake. You should probably break over there because this, the this is the best place in the world to move to. Yeah, I, it didn't last long. I ended up meeting my wife, uh, who's not from Charleston. You know, I, I brought in an out-of-towner in Charleston, which is, you know, probably not what people do in there. But, um, but so about a semester, maybe a semester and a half, I was, I was single in Charleston. And, and the staff loved it. <laughs> I, I believe it. And it's hard. It's a hard place if you're not making a lot of money. Like I think people don't understand this because there's a lot of money in Charleston and people don't realize it because it's like small. That's a tough place to like go out a lot if you're making no money and you're traveling all the time. Like that's a, it's a harder thing I think that people realize, but it is a beautiful place. There's no question about it. Love it. Love it. It's still my favorite city. Oh sure. yeah. You, you mentioned moving a lot in your career and we can see you're 29 years old and you've already been to all of these places, but sometimes as a young coach, you don't realize how much you have to move or that it's advantageous for you to move. Did you get that advice from a particular coach or did you kind of figure that out on your own? You know, that's how I got to make it in this thing. I got to grow my network and show everyone my value. Yeah. You know, I, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't advice and it wasn't even just something I came up with my own. It kind of was, like I said, uh, I've been very blessed to have this, 
these random circumstances occur. So like, you know, obviously I, I happen to be in Wyoming to meet Larry Scheid who puts me into Davis and I'm only in Davis for a year. And then just because I happen to move to Lexington, Virginia on a whim out of high, out of college, I meet Duger who brings me to the Citadel. And then, you know, one year later, I get a giant promotion to go from Dobo to an assistant coach at Division One level. You can't say no to that. And so you take that, and then Niber, Coach Nyber retires, and you got to find something else. And then when I'm at Eastern Florida, we have a fantastic season. I, I think that was like, you know, one of, the, one of you guys asked earlier about you know, when did you decide you want to be a head coach? And, like, that's kind of when. You know, I was at Eastern, and, and really Coach Schulman gave me a lot of gave me a lot of input and a lot of ways to help improve the team. And we had great success. And I was like, you know what, I might be able to do this. And so um, a position over at Barry to work for Coach Butch Estes, who's just like a legend. Um, and it's and South Florida's home for me, and so uh, and my wife. So we we decided to move down there and learn from him. And then pretty much after that, I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready to do this now. Okay, I got to dive into the junior college world a little bit. I think a lot of coaches will say, you know, as a young guy, you should always try to work in the junior college setting as an assistant. I think because you wear a lot of hats. And I think because you get so many different creative skills, whether it's recruiting or managing a lot of different personalities. How do you think, you know, junior college as an assistant really helped you grow specifically as a coach in your profession? Uh, just develop those different skills that you have to have to be successful at that level. Well, the first thing is now I can definitely, I could moonlight as a financial aid advisor. Uh, <laughs> I've learned everything about Pell Grants and Stafford loans and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you're a smart guy. You probably got, you're, you're a bit of a nerd. So you probably loved it. Yeah, you know, it, it was yeah. good, man. Um, I've, I've loved, loved, loved the junior college level. Um, the biggest thing is, you know, if you've, if you've been division one or even division two, your staffs are like five, six deep Juco. It was like three of us. And so you wear a lot of hats, you do everything, um, whether you're picking up guys at the airport or doing bed checks or helping them in study hall, you know, um, just use kind of everything. And it's, and it's one of those things where it's like that farmer's insurance ad. You're like, you know, we can do it all because we've seen it all. And so like now I've seen it all. And so nothing really surprises me anymore. Do you feel like the reputation, I, you know, I think people kind of, you know, and last chance who doesn't help, but they, they kind of think like Juco is just kind of like wide open, like freewheeling or whatever. Do you feel like junior college has a really bad reputation and that it's, 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 I, that's not right. I don't mean like it has a bad reputation. Do you feel like the reputation is unwarranted? Sure. There's a stigma, um, you know, and I don't know when that's ever going to go away. I think, I think the NJCA has done a great job of, of really adding in a lot more compliance than there's ever been before. And, you know, quote unquote, cleaning it up. But, you know, I didn't think it was that messy to begin with. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me, you know, having some division one experience before is I, when I came here, I wanted to make sure I ran this as close to division one program as we can. You know, being, being a former D1 assistant who's gone out and recruited, you recruit a JUCO guy to have him come in and play right away. But there's a lot of junior college programs who aren't teaching the game the right way or whatever it is. You know, you know the reputation is throw the balls out, just get the best athletes and let them hoop. And, and, you know, for me, you know, I've seen on the other side when that happens, they get there, they're not ready. And now your head coach is pissed at you because you brought in this JUCO guy who was supposed to help you right away. And now he can't because he's never done his own defense or whatever. Um, so we really just try and teach the game and, and, and create a program that coaches are going to want to send players to. They know they can always come and get someone who's really learned the game of basketball, been well coached, well taught, high character, you know, going to graduate, all those types of things. 
And, and you, I mean, your year at Eastern Florida, you guys went to the final four, right? So you got to see, I would assume every high level division one Juco to kind of see like, all right, what, what does Hutch do? What does Miami day do? What does Chipola do? Like what makes those guys really good? Were you able to take some of the things from coaches you met on the road, as well as your experience in Eastern Florida, like, and, and know like, okay, this is what makes those programs better than everyone else. Cause I think the building a foundation has got to be the key, right? Cause anybody can kind of recruit, but can you be good over a sustained period of time would, I guess would be the, what I would figure to be the toughest challenge. For sure. I think the, the toughest challenge is trying to create an environment um, of unselfishness. You're kind of, it's a, it's almost like it's got a little AAU to it. It's got some high school to it where guys are worried about their recruitment. And it's really hard to try and, you know, accomplish a team goal when there's a lot of individual motives and you just, and Jeremy Shulman, you know, my, my one of my mentors does a great job as anybody's getting everyone to buy in. And you know, we, we have stuff all over our locker room. The first thing we say is our record is our resume. Uh, it's not our stats and I think that. And we also say a rising tide lifts all boats, kind of going off the pirate theme we have here. And, and just making sure that at the end of the day, the more we win, the more everyone's going to be taken care of. You know, last year's team was 15 and 16. That, that's not terrible, you know, and, and they didn't have a single player go division one. When I was at Eastern Florida, we went 30 and five. We had seven guys signed division one. We had one guy registered, didn't even play, go division one, because that's what happens when you win 30 games and getting, getting guys to buy in and see that. That's what's going to get you recruited, not that you average 20 a game. Do, do you feel like this has helped you as an evaluator, Bill? Like, because I, I do think that's the hardest thing. Like, now evaluation days are less than they used to be. And, you know, you're taking kids on, like, on based on relationships and stuff that you may not get to see a ton because it's not, I mean, I don't want to talk out of turn, but it's got to be pretty difficult to recruit nationally from a place like Independence, Kansas. Do you feel like this has challenged you as an evaluator and made you better, even in the last couple months? Oh, for sure. Um, and one thing I think, Chris, you asked the question is, you know, is it important for a young coach to go and do and be a JUCO coach early in the career? And the answer is yes, because you're, you're recruiting both ways, you know, like you're recruiting high school, AAU, prep schools, all that stuff. But also you're having division one coaches, division two coaches from all over the country come recruit your player. And so you're networking both ways. So now when you become a JUCO head coach and, and you want to recruit transfers like we did, now, all of a sudden, it's all these other connections from either all the places I've been in coach myself or the player, you know, the coaches who've come recruited my players. I was at Eastern Florida and now they're helping. And all of a sudden it does become this giant network of, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, the coaches right now who are calling and recruiting my players are guys who are in my network. And they're like, hey, you know, we know Bill, we trust him. He's going to do a good job. Um, he's going to speak highly of us, you know, so it, it definitely kind of all goes full circle. Yeah, what? I, w- I want to know a little bit about taking the independence job and, uh, you know, definitely that process. But why why was independence the right first head coaching job for you? You know, obviously you can wait and interview at more places and maybe in a couple of years get a different job. Why was independence the right place? Well, it's funny you ask that because they're, they're actually, you know, in pre- previous seasons and, and even this year, I was in the running for some other junior college head jobs and, and decided to take my name out of it because I didn't think it'd be the right fit at the right time. Or, you know, I knew independence was an option and that's the one I wanted. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons for it. I think first and foremost, you know, it, it is definitely, it still has a national brand, national name recognition. You know, they've got great tradition. They've won three national championships. Um, and for a small junior college uh, in Southeast Kansas, have three men's basketball national championships. That, that is very rare. Um, you know, the league is phenomenal. You know, you got 
know following college basketball how important it is to have to be in a multi-bid league you know when I coached at UC Davis we were we were 25 and 7 we won our league by three games lost in the conference tournament didn't make the NCAA had to go to the NIT you know and so for me I wanted to go somewhere that I knew you know we did our job we did a good job and we're consistent throughout the whole year it wouldn't just rely on the last week of the season whether or not we had a chance to win a national championship and I felt independence and and the Jayhawk League had that opportunity. You mentioned having, you know, a couple different being involved in the interview process for other jobs. But let's talk about this process. What was the interview process like for you and how did you prepare for it? Um, well, I think that the first thing was, um, you know, I, this summer I, I, I signed with an agent, uh, with an agency, um, with Chad O'Donnell, a capital elite agency. Our, our buddy, our, our you know... A great guest of ours and, uh, you know, an awesome dude, Chad O'Donnell. He's awesome. Actually, I called him today, and uh, he answered on the first ring. And I didn't even say hi. So the first thing I said was, Chad, you know what I like about you? You always answer when I call. (laughs) Wife doesn't even do that. It's true. Chad, like, I'll text him, like, at random times throughout the day. It's, like, immediate. It's like he knew that he read the text before, as I was writing it. Yeah, I don't think he spends any time with his family at all. Like, <laughs> That's um, not good. That's not good. Yeah, yeah. I thought but, he got uh, out of coaching to spend more time with his family. Yeah, exactly. It's even it's even worse now. But um, but it, it was a crazy process. So I, I got the call from Tammy, um, you know, our, our former AD here, the day I arrived at the Final Four. And so I literally was in downtown Minneapolis walking in between cars trying to get to my hotel on the phone with Tammy doing my phone interview. And within a day, I guess later that day, booked a flight to Independence. Um, and I got there the Monday after the Final Four. And so pretty much the entire Final Four, I, was, I wasn't enjoying it like I normally do. I was definitely prepping, um, you know, trying to go through all the different questions that, that might get asked, but also just really trying to get all my thoughts organized in terms of style of play and what I want to do in terms of my recruiting plan and, and how, you know, how do you delegate to your assistants and, all, you know, what kind of, you know, what are your culture and what do you stand for and all those types of things. And um, I ended up feeling really prepared when I, when I got down, got here in Kansas. So we talked about this a little bit, that there wasn't a ton of overlap. Obviously there was no filming and, and uh, we talked off the air that the whole stuff that had happened with Jason Brown was over by the time you got there. But obviously, everybody knows, you know, a ton of people in sports and most of the people in college basketball probably watched Last Chance You When you were getting there, and obviously there was some, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, there. I guess it was a scandal, I'm sure. And then now the show has come out since you've been there. What's kind of been the reaction of the athletic department and how has that sort of fallen on you? Has it been mostly positive because you can call kids up and say like, hey, I'm at independence and they know what it's like. They know that money's getting pumped into the town or has it been something you've kind of had to deal with over the last couple of weeks? Um, well, first off, I, I would say that I was a huge fan of last chance. You um, previously, when I was coaching Eastern Florida, they came out and I was like, this is great. Got to watch this. Uh, and so I saw the first two seasons of East Mississippi and then I got to Barry and honestly things just kind of got busy. And I think I built my Netflix um, subscription to expire as my free month was over or whatever. Um, so I didn't even watch, I didn't, I hadn't even watched it. Um, I hadn't watched it even until like June. I finally watched season three. Um, but I, I'd say it's, it's a mixed bag. You know, um, the biggest thing is, you know, when I talk to people across the country and, and even the, the locals here in Kansas and I tell them about, Hey, 
When I was at Eastern Florida, we were number three in the nation. We lost in the final four to the eventual national champion, South Lane. We were arguably, you know, one of the best teams in the country. No one's ever, no one out here has ever heard of Eastern Florida, ever, you know. And so it, it versus independence, everyone's heard of independence, you know. And when I call a recruit, you know, they know what I'm talking about. And, you know, they know, obviously, I'm not a football coach, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very different. It's very different. And I don't I don't mean to, you know, talk out of turn about that. But you are. It's just such an interesting location, especially with it being, you know, the the new season comes out like smack dab in the middle of recruiting season, you know. So it's like all of a sudden, if it wasn't in the forefront before, because he was in the news before the season came out, then it's like you're talking to guys in June and maybe you're trying to fill out your roster and like people are watching this. And that's why I just figured, like, I just want to know if it made your job harder or easier, honestly, because it's just so you're in a different spot than anybody else in the country. You know, it's just, you're the only guy. It's so unique. So. Yeah. I I think it makes my job easier. Doesn't make community happy. Not all the time. You know, some, some people in the community liked it. Some people didn't. And so that's probably the hardest part is, you know, seeing, seeing the community a little divided on that, you know? And so in the day for me, it's been okay. You know, it hasn't really moved the needle that much. You know, it's funny you mentioned that they had three basketball national championships, which is not something that I knew that, you know, I, I don't know, Smalls, we missed that on Wikipedia, I guess. Yeah, I, I was telling Bill before the interview, we kind we do research, but sometimes we miss a couple things. But, but they make it seem like, you know, the, the school needed football so badly, and obviously they wanted it for admissions and stuff like that, and they don't mention really anything else in athletics, which – to me seems odd because obviously you're, you're looking at independence like, man, there's a deep history of basketball success here. Do, do you feel like that's something that's going to be easy to get back to? Cause it does feel like the town, they got behind football success so quickly. Do you expect that to happen with basketball when you guys, you know, really start to win a ton of games? You know, honestly, that I do think that I do think so. Uh, when I was interviewing here and, and feeling out the community and talking to people, I got the sense that this really is deep down a basketball town. I think this is a basketball state. Um, the Jayhawk League is a basketball league, you know, and, and obviously they have eight football, you know, uh, teams and, and, and the football tradition has been great too. And it, you know, football is probably the most popular sport in America. Um, so obviously I, I get that's why last chance you focused in on that and zeroed in on it. And, it, it, you know, but at the end of the day, I do think, that the fans here are really hungry to go back to, you know, when they used to have players going to UNLV and Oklahoma and, you know, and Kansas and, and eventually having players who played in the NBA and, you know, so it's done, been done here before and they, and they really do, you know, love their pirate basketball. Yeah. And, and like you said, the, I mean, the Jayhawk conference alone, I think four teams with 25 plus wins last year, right. And I think uh, Hutch and Coffeyville was really, really good. So it's, it's not like, people aren't aware of like the level of talent and competition that's going to come oh, yeah. through your gym. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think not only is it just a place where they'll come see my, see my players, but also, yeah, when Coffeyville or Seward County, who, who was phenomenal last year, Barton County, phenomenal last year, they come play us or we go play them. You know, we might have a, you know, a coach from a big school going to watch their players at Hutch. And all of a sudden we come in and we play, we have a great night, play really well. And, they say, oh, wow, maybe we should go check out Independence and see what they're doing. I really like that style of play or they've got some great players or, or whatever, you know. Yeah, three three former NBA players, right? Uh, Ruben Patterson, Armin Gillum, and then uh, Harvey Grant, right? All, all Independence Pirate alums? Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's wow, that's, that's great. That's deep knowledge right there. There's a, there's a fourth one. There's a fourth one, Tariq Phillips, who's uh, – Oh, he, from uh, West, he went to West Virginia, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. 
That's good. He didn't make the Wikipedia Independence Community College notable <laughs> alums, guys. That's why we didn't get him. He's yeah. apparently playing for the Capital City Go-Go yeah. doesn't count for Exactly. Yeah. I think he's I think he's a two-way contract or something. So uh last what, one for me. Oh, go ahead, Smalls. I, yeah, I was just gonna ask you, what are the goals and expectations in year one? And how do you kind of use those goals and expectations to build that foundation that we discussed and create a successful program moving forward? Well, you know, I, for me, it's just the way I operate, I'm super competitive and I feel like I've always had to be this way. So it, you know, coming in and saying, Hey, you know, I just want to rebuild and change the culture and all those things, you know, I want to do those things too, but I also want to do that while we win. So our, our goal is, is to compete for a conference championship, to, to make it to Hutch and compete for a national championship. It'll be that goal every single year. Last one for me, uh, for a guy like you, like you said, you're 29. You haven't really been anywhere much longer than like a year and a half, two years. Obviously, you're finally going to get to rest your head as a head coach, but ultimate career goals, you know, how do you kind of stay in the now, but also plan for your future without getting too ahead of yourself uh, when you, you know, as you finally seem to accomplish one of the bigger goals on your list? Yeah, you know what, that's changed over the over my career. And, you know, when I even when I was breaking in, I had some opportunities to be a D2 GA or, you know, NAIA GA, you know, and probably in hindsight, that would have been a pretty good idea because you get on the court and do a lot more. Um, but I was D1 or D1 or bust, you know, and then eventually you coach junior college and, and you realize that that was a lot of fun. And then you coach division two and you realize that was a lot of fun. And so now I've come to the point in my career, and I'm going to steal this from Jeremy Schulman. He, he's the first one who said it, so i got to give him credit, is I just want to be a happy head coach. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Hard to do, I think. I, we haven't, yeah, I guess if you're winning, like, an hour. <laughs> right, like, like Tony Bennett seems like he's pretty happy, right? Like Calipari, like he exudes happiness. Who knows if he's actually happy? I don't know. We, we meet a lot of grumpy head coaches. That's true. That's true. Uh, speaking of which, Smalls, I'll let you uh, – this one is from John Calipari. We'll go into coach speak. You got the first one I gave you. It's two sentences, two small <laughs> sentences. God, that's one more uh, than I need. But uh, toughness doesn't necessarily mean roughness. Toughness means that you're engaged. What does toughness really mean to you as a coach? It's such a – it's one of those buzzwords that coaches tend to use, and it's really popular now just like culture – but what does toughness mean to you? How do you want it uh, to be portrayed within your program? Um, when I hear toughness, I, I think of responding to adversity. Um, so whatever that might be, it might be a tough upbringing. It might be uh, having a, you know, something we deal with all the time when you have 18-year-old young men is they might have had something completely irrelevant to what we're doing, just break news to them. Girlfriend broke up with them. It could be anything. It really could. And, you know, there's not always dramatic, you know, like, you know, something really terrible happened at home. It could just be woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And how are you going to handle that? Are you going to let that just ruin the rest of your day or are you going to respond to it? And so and what I tell our guys is, you know, I think we'll be really talented this year. I think we'll be really deep and really competitive for every position. And so what I tell them is every minute you're here in independence, you're showing me something. Um, and I'm evaluating it. You know, what are you showing me? You're showing me something good or you're showing me something bad. How do you respond to the bad? If I really coached you hard because something happened that we weren't doing right, are you going to crumble and fold? Or are you going to be the guy who looks me eye to eye, shakes his head and says, I got you. And so that to me, that's toughness. I'm going to, I'm not going to go into the second quote I have. I, I want to ask a question. You, you mentioned like when you got ready for the interview, you wanted to kind of talk about how you were going to recruit. How have you kind of gone about that you, you mentioned taking a bunch of transfers but 
you haven't been a head coach before, so you're going to try to find the style that you want to play. Like I said, you, you've, you've worked for some guys who played very different stylistically. How has it been for you so far, both recruiting, but also trying to figure out how that you want to play? Well, I, you know, honestly, I think I'm going to give you guys a, a really honest and vulnerable answer that, that I don't know if you guys get a lot, but I would tell you that, you know, when you get hired as a head coach, you just went through the interview process. And you said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this and all the things that you can do. And then basically someone calls your bluff and says, okay, show me. And you, know, you kind of have that like, oh man, here we go. Um, and, you know, so I had a style of play that I wanted to do. And so when I came in, I started recruiting, you know, but at the same time you had a style of play I wanted to do, but also I knew at the end of the day, I wanted to get the best players with character that I could get. And as you start to fill a roster, you realize that, wow, this doesn't fit the style of play I was going to do. And so luckily for me, I have coached five different places and there, it, does, it did fit a style of play that I'm familiar with. So I, I've changed what I originally was going to do. And it, it's really funny because you kind of look at everywhere I've moved. It, make, it made a lot of sense. You know, I was a GA and I moved up to Dobo and then I moved from Dobo to assistant. And then my head coach retired. And so I had to go find another job. The only one that was kind of different was why did he leave Eastern Florida? you know, where they won 30 games and, you know, he could, could have jumped there to be a, a Juco head coach to go coach D2 at Barry. And all of a sudden the way that our players are recruited, you know, they're super talented players. They fit more what we did at Barry. And so, you know, I feel like our style of play is going to be a lot more similar to that. So it kind of all makes sense now. Oh, everything really does happen for a reason. No. And, and that's interesting too. Cause like you said, I, I think most of the time when guys switch jobs, you just automatically assume like either a, they want to be closer to home or B, they want to make more money. And nobody ever really goes into any other reasons that someone may take a job. And, you know, I, I think it's natural to assume, and Smalls and I, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, Smalls, but I just assumed everybody who was a Division One assistant when I was younger was making like $150,000 a year. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's I think how, we all did. You're just like, oh, D1 assistant. Like, when I was working at Hoop Group, you'd see someone walk in with a logo from like some D1 in tech, C1 school in Texas. You'd be like, UT Pan American, like, that school's got to pay 80 grand. Like, that guy's got it made, but... <laughs> As you, as you kind of like figure out a little bit differently, you know, you just assume that, oh, guys want to make more money. So I, I think it's really refreshing to hear you say that like you went somewhere else to kind of help you further your career that didn't necessarily mean like, hey, I could stay at Eastern Florida. We could win a ton of games. I can get a head coaching job from here, but this may help me fill in some gaps in my own coaching DNA, not so much like just gaps in my resume, which it seems like guys search out a lot, you know? So I really respect that, though. I think that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that was just, a, you know, me on my soapbox. But anyway, here's what, here's the most important part of this uh, interview. This is the city review. This is Smalls is like bread and butter, his baby, his segment. We're going to do Independence, Kansas, Smalls. And you asked before, does this place even have three restaurants? So I'm going to let you take this away. I mean, I just, I, of course it does. I just, Netflix wants to portray it as such a small town, but I've seen TripAdvisor. You think I, you know, during the Netflix specials, I wasn't yelping and looking up Independence, Kansas. It's got a lot of flavor. It's got different types of restaurants. It doesn't just have steakhouses. It has Mexican restaurants. So I want you to take us there. Give us the audible taste, baby. Three restaurants, two bars, and an activity. Well, I, I would say the uh, between the three restaurants and then not to include the two that double as bars did make it difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we managed. We managed. So the first one is Brothers Railroad Inn. Um, it's an Italian restaurant. It is, uh, it's phenomenal. I'm an Italian-American. Last name is Morosco. Family's from New York. Um, so to find good Italian food in Kansas is rare. And, 
and they, you know, it's not my mom's meatballs, but it's close. It's close. And I've told the, I've told the manager that. So, so they do a great job. Uh, the next one is El Poblitos, uh, or we call it affectionately El Pubs, uh, Mexican restaurant. It's a frequent on our, our staff um, lunch commitment post. You know, we, we like to announce that we are committing Tuesday to lunch at El Poblitos. Um, now, Bill, what does the staff go with? Are, are, is it mainly a burritos or are you guys trying to watch your figure and go with the bowls? Uh, I'm a big burrito guy. I love uh, it. Yeah. Got to yeah. carb up, man. I'm with you. Yeah. You know what? Lunch, lunch, staff lunch means a lot to me. So I go all out. You know, if I'm going to skip, it'll be for breakfast or dinner, but staff lunch is important. Um, the, the third one would be the big cheese, uh, local, you know, pizza place that they're also one of the only two salad bars in town. Um, so when you do want to, you know, watch your figure, it's a good salad bar. Um, so those would be the three restaurants. The, the, the two, the two bars are, are great. You know, Turbo's um, Sports Grill is, uh, is probably the, the most famous one. If you watch the Netflix series, that's where they did the coaches show. It's where he's always like leaned up against the, the bar with his Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what, that yeah, that's, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 Jason Brown should get a, he should get an endorsement deal from, from either Coke or something that you put in Coke. Those would be yeah. the next two good endorsement deals for him on his, uh, uh, his career. Does Turbos have a little uh, uh, darts action, little games, a little pool, little things I can dabble in, maybe yeah. throw a couple oh, of shows great now? Table, but also Friday and Saturday. So oh, both beautiful. nights are big karaoke nights. That's big time. So, you know, and, and then for, for me, I'm big on celebrating every victory. So we, we win, we win a game. I don't care if it was against the deaf and the blind or if it was against the number one team in the country, we're going to go as a staff turbos Yes, and relax and enjoy, enjoy the camaraderie and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so that, that's the first one. And the second one is uncle Jack's, uh, which they're really just kind of catty corner from each other. Um, so you can go back and forth and, uh, that's actually where part of my interview was held was at Jack's. So, uh, met some boosters and donors there. So that, I'm fond of that place for sure. And then we, we got what, give us one activity we're doing in Independence, Kansas with you. Okay. So I can't say driving to Oklahoma to go to a casino. Yes. No, we would do, I would, I would get in the car for that for sure. <laughs> I, yeah. That, that sounds like a great activity. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Uh, there's also, there, there is, my wife and I will go out to the lake and we like to hike a little bit. Being from Florida where it's like just totally flat, there are some hills. Um, I wouldn't call them mountains, but there's some hills and some nice views you can get to if you go hiking. So. I'd love to hike. One thing, one thing we actually glossed over, and, and you mentioned this a couple times, your staff and how you had to hire assistants. How, how did you go about doing that? I, sorry to double back. I guess I just missed this question, but it's always very interesting to me, especially as a first-time head coach and coaching in an area that you're not super familiar with. But, you know, did you have a couple guys on the list? Did you reach out to guys in the JUCO field that you knew? Did you want to get some guys with local ties? How did you kind of go about that? Yeah, you know, um, well, I wanted to recruit nationally. So, so to me, finding some of the local ties wasn't high on my list. Um, but it's funny. I'm glad you asked because it's kind of a, a unique story for when I hired my, my top assistant. Um, so basically, you know, I, I, I just kind of – there's some people that I'd worked with in the past that I was thinking about. And, but after I got the job, you, you talk with them, and um, they're really not in that point of their career where that's what they want to do. So, you're, okay, so, so I'm kind of at ground zero. I really don't have any plan of who I want to hire. And then all of a sudden, you know, all you know, people find out you get the job and everyone's got a guy for you. And um, it kind of goes back to you never know, like, what moment's going to be a big moment in your career. And so when I was a Division II assistant at Barry, 
I drove up to Gainesville for a JUCO game to, to recruit. Uh, Daytona State College was playing Santa Fe, and Santa Fe had a player, and then Daytona had a player that we were looking at. So I got there, and Daytona was loaded. They were top 20 in the nation and, and had multiple high major guys. Um, you know, it's very easy for a staff like that to kind of big-time a D2 coach. You know, they don't know that I coached Division One before that. Or they don't know that a year from now I'm going to be a JUCO head coach. You know, they just know that they see the Barry logo on my shirt and they think that, hey, he's just a D2 guy. He can have a worse player. Um, so I get there and, you know, one of the players plays really well and I want to talk to him. And so I, I go to one of the assistants and I, you know, and I, you know, I ask him, you know, hey, do you mind if I speak with so-and-so? So-and-so would end up being way higher than Barry. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's who I thought was someone who could play for us. And that assistant treated me like I was Coach K. Um, just was like absolutely – had a lot of questions for me, treated me with respect, got the kid out of the locker room, um, set up a one-on-one talk with me, kept in touch with me afterwards. And he didn't know that later on I would become a head coach and need to hire an assistant. And when he texted me, I said, that's what I want to hire. Cause that's how he treated, you know, just a total stranger who D2 coach couldn't do anything for him, you know, but still treat me. Cause that just kind of showed me his character. So that's, that's why I hired him. And it, it ends up reflecting well on you, too, because you're ultimately going to have a lot. I mean, if all goes well, going to have a ton of coaches coming through your doors. So you need guys like that to be the front porch for you. I get that. For sure. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I just always I always wonder about that because, you know, we talk about like the hesitancy a little bit of guys to be like, ah, you know, junior college. I don't know if this is the right fit for me or I don't know if I want to kind of take this leap, you know. So I was curious about just like the pool of candidates and. It's nice to know that when you get a head coaching job, it's still the same deal. Like everybody hits you up and like, oh, you got to hire Jimmy. Like, he'll be great. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's do uh, 10 touches, Smalls. We do these 30-second uh, rapid-fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, Bill, who's the funniest coach you've ever worked with? Butch Estes. Right. What type of humor? Are we talking dry humor, unintentionally funny, good one-liners? What do we got? Just not just self-depreciating, but depreciating everybody. It was just <laughs> hilarious. That's good. You need to keep it light. Uh, what's your worst? You've been everywhere. What's your worst basketball travel experience? Oh, this is a good one. Okay. So, and this one's on me. It's when I was a Dobo at the Citadel. So, um, you know, it was our first year, total, total rebuild. And we go out to Chattanooga and, and, you know, spoiler, we get waxed by like 30. Um, but you know, at the time I was sick of us eating Zaxby's after every single meal. And so I wanted to try something different. So I, so I went in my way, I found this hole in the wall barbecue place. I'm like, you know, this is going to be good. The staff likes barbecue, you know, players are sick of pizza and fried chicken. So we're gonna get something else. And so we go there, we get waxed, like just totally crushed. And so, you know, the, the barbecue place delivers and we open it up and it's like this little white bread sandwich with like this much, like a small, like maybe a quarter side, half dollar size worth of barbecue on it. Sauce tastes terrible. And then they give us, you know, I, I negotiated to get a cookie in it. And so I was really proud of myself. <laughs> I opened it up and it's a Chips Ahoy cookie. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, we just got beat by 30. The post-game meal was a just terrible disaster. So I'm just sitting there like four rows back, like just sulking. And all of a sudden, Duger <laughs> says, hey, Bill. And I, I look up, and he's holding up his Chips Ahoy cookie, and it's just an Ahoy cookie. There's no chips on it. It's just a plain, <laughs> like, vanilla wafer. And at this point, he looks at me. I look at him. I just start laughing. And I was like, I just can't get any worse than this. And eventually, you know, he let it go, and it was 
it was a fun we can laugh about it now but that was that's the worst <laughs> that's a good one it's the dobo too because I, I know that feeling when you're like man i got this great restaurant like it's gonna be awesome and it's just then you're just sitting there like damn this taste sucks damn yeah, i wish i just got jimmy john's again <laughs> <laughs> what uh i don't know how much free time you have but what are you currently binge watching if you have a chance i mean uh, last chance you that that'd be it it was trying to catch up on everything <laughs> Have you? Have, did you like circle any of the alums as people like? Oh man, I gotta reach out to these people. Like they're on the show, I gotta get them on my good side. You know, um, you know, there's some some of the football staff is still here. I'd say probably about three or four of them. Yeah, um, Kiyoshi's the head coach right now, and then uh, the D coordinator Jason is still there too, Jason right? Martin, yeah. Correct. Yeah. The the running backs coach who gets featured quite a bit, he's back. Um, so you know, I joke with my wife like, yeah, we get to work with movie stars. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure those those guys, like, I would guess you've got to be happy to not have your every moment filmed for, like, a third season in a row. Despite the fact that it's got to be kind of cool to, like, put in your Twitter bio and talk about it, like, just to not have the kid. Like, Jason Martin, like, just his family and, like, his wife, like, they're living in the dorms and stuff. Like, I would think you would want some privacy after a certain point because it's just hard and everyone wants to second guess everything you do. So, uh, you know, I, I wish those guys a ton of success this year because I am sure the last two years – for a lot of reasons were very difficult, but that being probably one of the biggest ones. Well, and you, you never know like what they're going to show and what they're not, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know what all's left on the cutting room floor, you know, so that's kind of wait, sitting and waiting. Like, are they going to show that moment or this moment, you know? So. Are you going to get the one blonde kid to make you guys like a rap for this season? Cause he's like the best character in the movie. He's in like, he's in like one episode of each season. But no, I like, love that. That, that guy is just, he, I, I love it. No, I love you know, just the energy. You know who that kid is? Like, this is this dead, this is dead serious. It's that, that, that Dabo Sweeney thing where he's like, if I have to get the donuts and the coffee in the morning, I'm going to be the best at getting the donuts and the coffee. His yeah. thing is like, if I'm going to be the music guy for Independence, Kansas, I'm going to be the best in the world at doing that. It's unbelievable. Like, I, I just like give him so much credit, like being himself on camera. Because you, he has to know, he has to watch and be like, I killed it. Otherwise, he'd be like, man, I'm never going on stage again. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just has to be that way. It has to be, and we take them in a heartbeat, for sure. All right, Smalls, you do this one. This is your new one, number four. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this is a new one. I wanted to mix it in. I'm pretty sure you didn't know because I spelled a word wrong. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'll say I, I wanted to you know, hit you with the situation that comes up in your program and how you handle it, and this is really simple. You know, This is your first year as a head coach, Let's say, I want to say, in the middle of your season, this won't happen, but you lose four games in a row. How are you handling that with your team, being that you spoke about it earlier at the junior college level. A lot of kids are worried about the recruitment and then the team kind of success goes out the door. How do you handle that and bring the common team goal back to the forefront? Well, you know, I think um, what I won't do is, but this is what a, a coach – a coaching mentor of mine told me one time is he would just take the ball rack and just throw throw out all the balls and say the first five guys bring me a ball back start tomorrow, um, which I always think is funny and maybe maybe at some point I will do that. But um, I think the biggest thing is is just trying to find like you know who is still bought in, and you know if, if you got to cut your rotation, you got to reassess who's playing, who's not playing, and you know, pretty much saying hey every position is up for grabs and I'm going to play the guys who who are bought in for the team. We're going to, who are going to be a part of a team, not be themselves an individual. We're going to run our system offensively, defensively. We're going to be coachable and, you know, allow the coaches to hold them accountable. Those who are going to play. And if so, we're going to play seven, we'll play seven. 
Um, but I know that's what's going to get us out of it, not just everyone else doing their own thing. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, who's the toughest player you've ever coached against? Chris Clemens. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Was yeah. he like the fourth all-time leading scorer in the NCAA? Yeah, 3,000 points. Just the type of guy that like – I, I can't help but think this just because, like, TBT is on now. But, like, I don't know if he'll stick in the NBA. I wouldn't bet against him. But he's probably going to be the guy in, like, three years that goes to TBT and gets, like, 45 in, like, the final four of TBT. And people are like, oh, yeah, Chris Clemens is going to be able to score until he's 55 years old. Like, He's that guy where, like, you held him to 26 and you're like, <laughs> we had a great job on him. Really did. We locked him up. <laughs> what would you do if you weren't coaching? You mentioned you were working for your fraternity before, but – you know, were you going to stick with that? Would you have changed careers? What do you think if you weren't coaching basketball? You know, I really don't know. Um, I think, you know, the, I, I ask all of our, I ask my assistants and every day when, when I get up, I, I just try and I try and be a teacher first. Um, that's kind of our goal is to just really teach the game and teach life lessons. So, so I, guess, I guess probably a teacher and just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. What would you change about college basketball? Man, that's tough. I think, um, you know, having lived it, Honestly, I would let more of the staff be on the court, be able to, to help student athletes. Like, right, isn't that what it's about is the student athletes developing them? You don't even have to pay them. You just can have all these other, you know, these four video coordinators that you have can actually go rebound for the kid, you know, and work them out and, you know, help them get better at, at his sport and, and all that kind of stuff. So that that'd probably be the thing I change is, you know, Dobos can't be on the court and GAs can't rebound and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we've talked about it. It seemed like a no-brainer this year. They added it as like a regulation that they were like, let's put this up for a vote. And then it got voted down because like people are really worried about like that's a way that maybe you would pay somebody to kind of like bring a recruiter or whatever. But like you already have legislation in in place anyway. So like I don't understand what the issue is with this. Like I I really don't. It, It just it seems so ridiculous. And it hurts guys' careers because some coaches pay no mind to it at all and let everybody work out guys and other coaches follow the rules and it you know, it, it creates an uneven playing field for young guys in the business. So I, I totally agree. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why the NCAA just won't, like, push it through. I really don't get it. All right, Coach. What's your pregame routine? Uh, 20-ounce Diet Mountain Dew. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, do the Dew. Yeah. Love it. Love that you're a Dew guy. Is that, that's it. That's what you have to have. That's the superstition. Yeah, yeah. Diet. And it has to be consumed, like, right before we arrive at the arena. So like it has to be done. So I'm just like some before I got off the bus, I'm just like pounding a, a freezing cold die Mountain Dew. <laughs> I love it. All right, Let, we added another new one. Last coach who texted you, what did they say? It it, it was Shulman. Shulman texted me today, uh, the Eastern Florida head coach, and just uh, to to kind of paraphrase. Yeah, yeah, paraphrase it is. Uh, just I'm proud of you. I think you used some other words too, but more or less that. So. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's what uh, I think I just wanted to put that question. And I think people don't maybe, you know, all coaches do, but maybe players listen to this podcast. It's such a tight fraternity. And when you get a new job or you become a head coach, everyone's kind of reaching out and uh, it's a pretty cool experience. What's your hidden talent? Man, um, I think I think, you know, for, for a nerdy white guy, which I am, I actually think I'm a pretty good dancer. Okay. I have people tell me I'm actually a good dancer. Ooh. <laughs> you go to turbos, chop it up on karaoke night. No, he's got to like sing. It. Nobody dances on karaoke night. Oh, you dance. You, Bob and Barber's in Philly, baby. Dancing <laughs> in karaoke. Oh, little South Philly punch. We're rolling. All right. Two future podcast guests for us. Duger Balkum, for sure. 
for sure. He's he's got. Yeah, I think my story into coaching is cool. His is way cooler. Um, and then and then Jim Les, I could listen to Jim Les talk forever. He's he's just like a brilliant guy. Played in the NBA. Um, just awesome, awesome coach. So those two. All right, last segment. Same two questions to every guest. We call these parting shots. I got the first one. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? You know, it, it's it's advice that uh, everyone's kind of said before, but I just remember as a kid, like in my driveway playing in, in South Florida, there's a town called Pahokee, and um, it's kind of like, I think it's per capita, the most NFL players from any town come from Pahokee. They did a special on ESPN uh, where they out like catch rabbits in their bare feet in the mud. Um, but they so like it's just crazy. It's this crazy small town in like rural South Florida. But um, I remember my dad one day. He he told me, you know, he's like, you know, there's someone out there in Pahokee working harder than you right now. You know, and like everyone says that. You know, so there's someone out working you, and like that. I've never forgot that. That's one of the reasons. Like I quit my job and was like, all right, now I'm gonna drive around the country, going everything I can do, just because there's someone out there trying to do more than me. And so it's kind of like fed in this like early competitiveness that that. Uh, was started from that. So that's probably the best advice I ever got. Yeah, shit, I like that. Face-to-face with your 24-year-old self, what are you telling that person? Um, that's Is that like the age you guys normally say, 24? Uh, no, sometimes I picked out 24 because you had been kind of a couple years out of school. You kind of start to get into coaching. That young, naive coach in you, what are you telling that guy? So sometimes we do like 19, sometimes we'll do 21. Yeah. Uh, well, 24 is a cool age. Cause I feel like everyone who was around me, like would somehow play like a major, major role, like to get where I am now. Like, it's really cool. Like that's a great pit choice of that number. So I tell myself to like, look around and like give a hug to like all these people. It's like, I just met Duger. I, I just met, you know, coach shy it, you know, about, about to meet coach less and like all these people and it's everything would intertwine to get me from there to, PC to Barry to here. It just it was crazy. Like that particular time, all the people I was around got me here. So it's really pretty neat. It's a fun time. That's awesome. So so I, I just looked this up, just the Pahokee thing, just because it was kind of interesting. So 14 NFL players, they have currently in the NFL, I guess Anquan Bolden retired, but Janoris Jenkins, Parnell McPhee, Antone Smith, uh, Fred Taylor retired, and Alfonso Smith. So they they have currently seven NFL players active in the nfl from pahokee florida that's ridiculous like, yeah what's what the, the, the population of i think it i think it's six thousand people yes yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. unreal that's that's awesome i've that's heard like, about the chase and rabbits thing no, no you have not you're florida. lying you have not. no it's in less chance to you tyler oh, you don't I even pay it. attention to the earned show oh yeah uh, but ESPN did a special on a while ago. Yeah, I only watched the show just because I, uh, I don't know, I, I just thought the funniest thing was that, like, when they played Garden City this year, somebody, like, split-screened the clip of, like, Jeff Sims talking to his team about, like, what to do, and then Jason Brown's <laughs> pregame speech, which I, I frequently don't bleep myself on here, but I'm not going to repeat what he says. Like, go watch episode three, yeah. it's unbelievable, or episode four. It's amazing, but it's like I only watch it to watch how he interacts with the kids on the team because I just think it's unbelievable because his players obviously like him. You know, it's just the bottom line is like he's hard on those guys and like he, he's not a he's not a by the book guy by any means. But those players like he, he's not lying about the amount of kids he sent to Division One schools and stuff. It's just it's just funny. You know, it's just such a contrast in what we see because I do think basketball is much more clean cut than football. So like. 
it's just, I don't know. I just, that's why I watch that show. Cause it's, I could never imagine being a football coach guys. I just couldn't, I don't think I have the intensity, the yeah. love for it. I just think you got to be different. Cause at a certain point, like you just got to prove you're tough enough. And I think I'm more cerebral than that. So, <laughs> but anyway, Bill, we won't keep you any longer. We appreciate it. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Bill Morosco, just like it sounds. He's coach Sco. And uh, hey, man, best of luck this year. I know the end of the summer out, it's almost school in session for you, but we're going to be following. And, and thanks for being the first Juco guy coming on and, and talking a little bit about your journey because it's been a lot of fun for us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And hopefully you have some more Juco guys on there. We're interesting. We're an interesting group for sure. <laughs> oh, the, the most interesting, I think. Honestly, <laughs> the most interesting. All right. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys.